You would turn to your copy of Scripture, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 106. You know, today is a day that's very difficult for me, I'll be honest. As a pastor, it's a, a, a huge weight to talk about the sanctity of life. Because I understand that when I stand before you today that abortion is one of those topics and, and being pro-life is one of those topics that is polarizing. In fact, it's one of those things that most people would just like to go away. That we never have to hear about again. Can we just stop talking about it? And then we have people in this room that have been impacted by abortion. We know that. The numbers show that. And so I want to say a couple of things before I get started today. One, this is not about politics. It's not. What this is about is understanding who God is and what God does and what God cares about. And if you're here this morning and you've been impacted, whether as a woman or a man or mom and dad or grandparents, you've been impacted by abortion, I want you to hear that this is not condemnation. If at any point today you hear condemnation, you're hearing the enemy's voice and not God's voice. Because the same God who got down and picked a woman up who was caught in the midst of adultery, held her hands in his face and said, does anyone condemn you? Neither do I. The same God will say the same thing to you. So if anything that happens today that you feel condemned or humiliated, that is the voice of the enemy and not of our Savior. Conviction and condemnation are two different things. Can I just share the difference? Conviction is when we are convicted by the fact that God believes something is wrong and so should we. We are convicted by the fact that something is wrong in our life and God wants to change it. And we are convicted by the fact that the only thing that can happen to change it is for God to intervene in our life. Condemnation says you've done something wrong, you are wrong, and God will never love you and never has loved you, and there's no point in changing. There's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. And the passage that we're going to be looking at today is kind of strange in the book of Psalm. I want to kind of just prep you as we walk into it. Book ending this, and this is where we're going to begin, and this is where we're going to end. Book ending this psalm are two things. One that says to praise God, and the other one to bless God. Praise God for who he is and what he's done, and bless God that he never changes. And then the middle is filled with horror, with evil, with unspeakable things that we as humans do. But never forget the beginning and the ending. We praise God for who he is and we bless God that he never changes. And that's the only reason that we have any hope. So I want to start there today. Let's start with praising God before we get into some of the more difficult things that we've got to talk about. But in Psalm chapter 106, verses 1 through 3, it says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or can show forth all his praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. 
I love how we start here. It says, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, because his loving kindness is everlasting. And all God's people said, give thanks to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who can tell of all the wonderful things that he does? And all God's people said, Before we get started today, we need to remember to praise God because he does so many things that we can't even see or understand. He's at work at all times, in all places, in all people. He is. And so one of the things that I want to start off with is that we need to speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord. And here's what I want you to hear very clearly. That God's greatness that God's goodness, that God's kindness, that God's compassion is greater than the horror of abortion. Abortion is evil, abortion is wrong, and it is a blot on our nation and on our society, but here's the thing, God is greater than that. God is better than that, God is bigger than that, God is at work and there is hope. Let me give you some reasons why we can have hope. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Let me speak a few of them. God is the author of life and intimately involved in it. In that beautiful psalm that Sarah sang just a minute ago that we are fearfully, wonderfully made. That Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 tells us how God God creates us and God forms us and God is intimately involved in our life. One of the most beautiful and powerful things that we hear is that God forms us and then he maps out the plan for our life the rest of our days. Psalm 139, 16, it says, and God has all of our days written down in his book before there was ever one of them. What's something we can praise God for? What's something we can take comfort in God in? The fact that God has created each and every one of us uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully. We have the fingerprints of God upon us. And God has mapped out the plan for our life. Another thing that we can praise God for is that God knows each person before they were ever born. Jeremiah 1.5. God calls Jeremiah when he was in the womb. God says, this is what you're going to do and this is how you're gonna be for me. And so God knows us before we're ever born. One of the beautiful and wonderful things that we celebrate as believers in Jesus Christ is that what is in the womb of a woman is not just a clump of cells, it is a person that God knows. That God knows. And God wants to use And that God has a plan for. And God has made each person in his image. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. One of the reasons that we stand and say that this evil that we see is wrong is because every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has dignity, has value, has purpose. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. What are the great and mighty things that God has done? God restricts the taking of a human life. In Genesis chapter nine, verses five through six, aren't we thankful that we have a God that cares about life and not just life in general, but all life. And God says, you're not allowed to go around killing people. You can't kill people anytime that you want. In fact, our country says that. 
But God restricts the taking of a human life. And God has lots to say about child sacrifice and hurting children. In fact, in the Old Testament, God hates child sacrifice and completely forbids it, for, forbids it in Leviticus 20, verses 2 through 5. He talks over and over and over in the Old Testament about how you can tell how bad a nation is by what they do with their children. And in fact, Jesus comes along and says something even more powerful. Here's what he says. If you harm a little child, be prepared. There's a millstone that I'm going to hang around your neck and I'm going to throw you in the sea. It is better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown to the bottom of the ocean than to harm a little one. And God shows the value and the worth of every human life in Jesus. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us by Jesus dying for us. There's a lot to praise God for. There's a lot to celebrate of the wonderful works that he's done. There's a lot of things that we can go around and tell people who he is and how he works. But I want you to see, and we're not going to go through the litany of things that are wrong. We're going to focus on one thing. I want you to jump forward with me into verse 35. And we're going to read one of the things that the people did. And we see God's goodness and we see God's grace. And all of a sudden we just fall into this pit of sin and depravity and evil. And it just talks about how they rebelled and they didn't listen and they hated God and they grumbled against God and they committed sexual immorality and they did this and they did this and they did this. Now listen to what they do. But they mingled with the nations and they learned their practices and they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons they shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with the blood. They became unclean in their practices and they played the harlot in their deeds. It's a powerful thing that's said here that the people had gone so far and had done so much that even their children were not off limits. And then again, sacrificing their children to demons. I want you to hear this. As good as God is, and as amazing and powerful as wonderful he is, we have an enemy. And that enemy is feeding us a doctrine of demons. And that enemy is feeding us a doctrine that devalues life from the beginning. Now I want you to be careful, and this is why this is important. I believe that on this issue we are blinded by the enemy. There is so much spiritual warfare surrounding the subject of abortion. We don't even see it. We think it's just a, a simple political issue. If we could just vote the right way and vote in the right people, everything would be okay. No, we have been blinded by the enemy. How's that happen? Well, here's the thing. We've been blinded to the fact that abortion is just another sin in the staggering, staggering arsenal of sin of humanity. I heard someone say the other day, and this is not a Christian, they were just talking about how that people today are frozen by the amount of tragedy that we see. That it's so difficult to get people to stand up and do something because there's so many things to stand up and do something against. You ever feel that way? 
that it just keeps washing over you and it just keeps washing over you and there's just one bad thing after another. We've, we've just become accustomed to evil and that's what we, here's what we say, that, that's just the world that we live in. The enemy has blinded us to the fact that this is a deep, powerful, spiritual issue that needs to be faced and here's what we say, well, it just, it's just human nature. And you're right, it is. Human nature motivated by sin. Human nature empowered by the lies of the enemy. And we need to wake up and recognize that our fight is against an enemy who hates life. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but we have an enemy who hates life. Jesus said about our enemy that the devil, he is a murderer from the beginning. The first time that we see the devil in the Bible, what's he trying to do? He's trying to take life from Adam and Eve. He shows up and he wants to murder them and the relationship that they have with God. He hates life and he wants to stop it. Now here's the funny thing. He can't kill us, so he gets us to kill each other. The devil cannot kill us. He cannot lay a hand on us and take our life, so what does he do? He gets us to do it ourselves. You do realize that abortion didn't start in 1973. Abortion has been happening as long as there have been people on the face of the earth. You know, if you go back in the book of Exodus, we find out about one of the largest scale abortions in Egypt. The Pharaoh of Egypt was worried about the Israelites, the Hebrews, and here's what he's saying. They're growing too fast. They're growing too big. I've got to do something about it. And here's what he did. He went to the midwives and he said, kill the baby boys. Kill them. Kill them. This has been an appropriate response of nations throughout centuries. When you have an opponent, when you have an enemy and you want to get rid of them, kill them. It's even embedded in our Christmas story. Have you forgotten the story of baby Jesus? See, we leave this part out. It doesn't do well with the manger scene where you have Herod sacrificing all children, all boys, two years old and under. How would you put that on your mantle? We have an enemy who hates life, but he can't take our life, so he gets us to do it. How about this? How about that we have ingrained in cultures all around the world that abortion is a, a wonderful option to the fact that you had the wrong child born, the wrong gender. Get a girl, abort her. Get another girl, abort her. Keep doing it until you get a boy. How about this wonderful thing that's embedded in the cultures where they say abortion is okay. Listen, if your child is defective, deformed, abort them. If you find any physical characteristic that doesn't make them look normal, get rid of them. If you see any mental incapacity, get rid of them. Dear ones, we need to understand that we've been blinded by our enemy. And our enemy hates life and he's doing everything to stop it. And he's using us. Our enemy, just as he did with Adam and Eve, comes to us and says, did God really say Remember that with Adam and Eve? He comes to them and he says, did God really say? Getting them to question who God is and what God says and what God wants for them. And so he does the same thing to us in our culture. Here's what he comes to us and says. Hey, 
Find some place in the Bible where God mentions abortion. You won't find it. One of my favorite arguments that I hear people say is that Jesus never mentions the word abortion. Well, here's the problem. Jesus doesn't have to mention the word abortion when he talks about life all the time. When he talks about the dignity and the worth and the value of every human being, when he shows that everyone is worthy of life. In fact, here's what he says, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. I don't think we need Jesus to talk about abortion when he is decidedly, definitely pro-life. Pro-life and pro-everlasting and abundant life, thank God. But our enemy says, oh, 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 don't talk about abortion. Don't talk about that. Jesus never said anything about it. Our enemy tells Adam and Eve that they can be like God. If they disobey God and do what God has asked them not to do, they can be like God, knowing good and evil. And our enemy has been selling us that same fruit ever since. He's told our nation, he's told our culture, he's told our world that we can know good and evil. And we do. The only problem is there's this huge chasm of hypocrisy when we talk about good and evil. What do you mean by that? I want you to listen to some of the arguments that are made to say that abortion is viable, abortion is valid, and abortion should be celebrated. My first one is this, it's my body, it's my choice. You can't tell me what to do with my body. They want unrestricted, unrestricted freedom. And here's the funny thing, it's not your body. If we believe what the Bible says, what does the Bible say about our body? Who made it? Who created it? Whose fingerprints are all over it? The reason that we're in the mess that we're in is Adam and Eve said, my body, my choice. And the reason we continue to stay in the mess that we're in, we all say, my body, my choice. But here's the hypocrisy of good and evil. Here's the thing. How many things in our country can we not do with our body because the government says it's not your choice? We want unrestricted freedom except we don't want 15s and 16-year-olds buying cigarettes and alcohol. You can't prostitute yourself legally. You can't sell your kidneys and your organs legally. In fact, you can't walk outside naked legally. Thank goodness. <laughs> but do you see the hypocrisy? There's this huge chasm between good and evil. And here's what we say, this is good. And all these other things are wrong. The same people who push to say that the baby in the womb has no rights and no value and no, needs no respect are the same ones pushing for more and more and more regulations on everybody else. Doesn't work. Knowing good and evil in the chasm of hypocrisy. The argument that is being pre presented now is that embryos in the womb are not humans, they're parasites. 
parasites that are leaching resources off the mother. And like any other parasite, we must destroy them. And if you don't believe me, YouTube it. And you will watch people who seemingly have all, you know, grasp of reality. Look in the camera and here's what they'll say. That's a parasite. And like a leech or like any other parasite, it needs to be taken care of. Here's the funny thing. The same folks who call those babies parasites say that animals are sentient. I read an article that broke my heart because I read an article by two lawyers and here's what they said. Animals are sentient from the time even before they're born. And they deserve full citizenship rights in America. They deserve free health care in America. They deserve sovereignty to decide whether they want to be in captivity or not. Oh, and babies don't because they're not sentient. How do we get here? How do we get here when we say it is illegal to transport the egg of a bald eagle because there's a potential bald eagle in there and if you kill it, you kill a bald eagle, but the baby in the womb is not a human? How do we get there? How do we get there and say that we need to be kind to animals and I agree with that and not be cruel to animals and I agree with that, but we can be unkind and cruel to humans? How about this? knowing good from evil and the chasm in between. The death penalty has become a very polarizing thing in our world and the people who push against the death penalty so much and say, listen, we, we have to reconsider and we have to relook because those people may be innocent and those people may have gotten convicted on a technicality and we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. They are the ones prescribing the death penalty for a baby whose only crime is that it was unwanted. They describe the death penalty for a baby whose only crime is that the family says it's a financial strain. Puts a cramp in my lifestyle, puts a cramp in my career. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn, I just want to be honest. So we have to unmask these arguments for what they really are and it's a lie from the enemy. The enemy comes to Adam and Eve and he tells them, what you're about to do, you will not surely die. It's okay. Jump in with both feet. You will not die. And he knew exactly what was going to happen. And God tells us here what happens when we become like the nations when we fall into their practices and become snared in their traps. Verse 37, they sacrificed their daughters and sons to the demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and their land was polluted with blood. They became unclean in their practices and they played the harlot in their deeds. Satan has been selling us a bill of goods for a long time. You will not surely die. God's not going to get you. Nothing's going to happen. It's just a clump of cells. It's not sentient. It's not even a potential human being. You're not going to die. 
the reality is what happens is worse than death. We become polluted. We become polluted by our sin. We become polluted by the choices and decisions that we make. We become polluted to the point where we just can't care anymore. See, here's the reality of what's happening. We would be so up in arms if we saw a factory here in Clovis dumping waste in the water. We would protest. We would call for change. We would call for action. We would force and press. Here's the problem. We are swimming in the pollution of these choices and decisions and we just say, well, what can we do? What can I do? We are polluted. We become unclean. We think that there's no cost to these things. It's somebody else's choice. It's somebody else's decision. There's no cost. You know, the thing that scares me is so much of the younger generation don't even see these issues as issues. Some of you may be here today and you're thinking, man, why is this guy getting so worked up? What's the big deal? That's the big deal. That you can listen to something that talks about the killing of innocent human beings. Now, what I mean by innocent is they've done nothing to deserve to die. And you're not moved. There's no tears. There's no brokenness. It's just, man, I sure hope he hurries up. Unclean. We become unclean. And it says they played the harlot with their deeds. I just want to say this. One of the difficult things about talking about these things is it really just gets in people's face. And it causes reactions, and most of the time not a good reaction. And so here's what happens. We come to places where we feel like in the church we can't talk about these things. Preacher, you're being too political. Politics has nothing to do with this. This is a spiritual issue. And I just want to be as honest and loving as I can if we can't talk about this here, where can we? If I, if I can't stand here and share out of God's truth, God's opinion about things, we've messed up. We just need to shut the doors and go home. And I told you we were going to start with God and we were going to end with God. We praise God for the things that he does and we praise God for who he is and we praise God for his mighty actions and I want to end with praising God. Look at verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. The writer of the psalm says, listen, you might start looking at this and asking yourself the question, and hopefully you do. How? How can God put up with all of our nonsense? How? 
How can God see rebellion after rebellion, rejection after rejection, idolatry after idolatry, immorality after immorality to the point where we are murdering innocent people made in the image of God? How? Because he's good. Because he's kind. Because he's compassionate. It says here that God looked at their distress and he heard their cries for help. See, the thing that we forget when we come to this issue is we can muster up a lot of righteous anger and I got a lot of it. It's been hard for me not just to unleash that and if I did, it'd be wrong. See, God has righteous anger, but God also releases righteous compassion. God hears the cries of those people who are in distress and he responds. Aren't we thankful for that? Isn't this the reason that we can continue on in our life because that's how God deals with us? He hears their cries and he looks at their distress and he responds. One of the things you're gonna hear all throughout this psalm and we just don't have the time to read all of it is you'll hear this, the people did this, yet God the people did this, nevertheless God. The people did this, yet God and God. God did, God saw, God came, God rescued. Here's the hope that we have, that God keeps his promises to us even when we don't keep our promises to him. God keeps his promises to us even when we don't keep our promises to him. And God rescues us every time that we need him. I would challenge you, go home and read the rest of Psalm 106 and here's what you're gonna hear. The people, the people were caught in slavery. The people were there in Egypt and what did God do? He broke them out and God led them to the Red Sea and he opened up the Red Sea and had them walk on dry ground and escape their slavery. And yet as soon as they got on the other side, they grumbled and complained and told God they wanted to go back and yet God had compassion. God rescues us every time that we need it. And there's a beautiful little phrase here that I want you to hear because this is how we need to end this. Verse 46. God has made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. If you read this psalm and you listen to the debauchery and the evil and the vileness and just the hatred and the rejection of God, you're going to think, wow, objects of wrath? Yeah, I get that. God's about to unleash on you guys. And you get to verse 46. And he has made them an object of compassion in the presence of all their captors. This is the Why? We answered the how, but this is the why. Why? See, the thing that we never need to forget is those people who disagree with us on life are not the enemy. They've been taken captive. They've been blinded. They've been pulled into this whole system that they don't even see going on. And they have an enemy that is using them to destroy life because he can't. And here's the thing we need to remember. They are caught just like we have been caught. 
And the only way we can be set free is not by arguments. It's not by slapping them in the face and not by shouting them down, but by introducing them to the one who treats them as an object of compassion. Who tells them, I will never lash out at you in my wrath or anger, ever. Now that makes us crazy a little bit, doesn't it? Come on, God, get angry like I'm angry. Come on, God, lash out. You can do it. God says, I'm going to unleash a force more powerful than anger and wrath, and it's called love and grace and forgiveness. He makes us objects of compassion, and he says, I'm never going to withhold my love from you. Listen, you may wonder why we talk about this and why this is such a big deal, because here's the thing. There is nowhere you can go. There is nothing that you can do that God says, I will withhold my love from you. And remember, he's talking to these people who are sacrificing their children. The very thing he said not to do amongst many other things he said not to do. And he says, I will not withhold my love. He makes us objects of compassion because he enters into our mess to set us free. He enters into our mess to show kindness, compassion, and mercy. He enters into our mess to deliver us. He enters into our mess to give us hope. What other God does that? God is so pro-life that he came to live as one of us to die for us that we may have life. Wow. Wow. He will not allow evil to triumph. He makes us objects of compassion and he will not allow evil to triumph in one of two ways. Either he completely delivers us from it and saves us from it and forgives us from it and transforms us into something new and that's how he defeats evil. Or he will bring an end to it one day. So what should we do now? What should we do now that we've heard these things? Well, first of all, I think we need to praise God. I think your response as you leave this place today should be, I worship and serve the most wonderful, amazing, and powerful, and kind, and loving, and gracious God that there is. That's what we should do. And part of the way that we praise him and celebrate who he is and what he does is we say, you know what? I'm not leaving this place the same way that I came in. God loves me too much to leave me the way that I am. And so today's the day. Today's the day on the Sanctity of Life Sunday when they've talked about abortion, I'm gonna go forward and let God transform me and make me new. That's what I'm gonna do because he's pro-life and he's pro-my life. And he's pro me having eternal, abundant, everlasting life. Here's the offer. Praise God. Praise his forgiveness. Praise his grace by trusting it and saying, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me new. I need you to let go, help me let go of all the burdens of my past and the chains that I carry set me free. I need you to make me a new person so I can be who you want me to be. And again, if you're here today 
and abortion has touched your life, you need to hear that that same God loves you. That same God cares for you. That same God wants to forgive you and make you new and make you whole. But I also think it's time to wake up. I think it's time to wake up and understand that we can no longer just sit in a service and hear a message about abortion and say, I did my part. I had to, can you imagine I had to endure an abort, a sermon on abortion at church today? It's time to wake up and recognize the spiritual warfare that we're facing and take the light of the gospel into the world and transform hearts and lives. I want to say this, and this is we're going to, we're going to close. I am convinced that abortion will never stop until the Prince of Peace rules in every heart. We can pass all the laws we want. We can elect all the politicians that we want. We can change the government all we want. It will never stop until Jesus is on the throne of every heart. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for life. We thank you for eternal, abundant, everlasting, forgiving, compassionate life. And we pray that you would move. We pray that you would move and help us to praise you by responding to you. To celebrate you by letting go of our sin and our hurt and our pain and the lies that we've believed. And wake up. Wake up to your grace. Wake up to your goodness and your forgiveness. Wake up to your understanding and beliefs and convictions about life. And live those out. Help us today to say yes. Father, I pray that now in the powerful name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.